Welcome in, welcome in. Another day. Hope everybody is having a lovely one. Um, it is Wednesday. We have much news to get to, much uh, stuff happening around the hockey world. Um, we have Brendan in again today. Hello, uh, hello. With us. Thank you for thank you for joining us. Um, As always, a pleasure. We'll have Raven back in tomorrow. Um, we recorded an episode of the Deep Fade for Zach yesterday, so give that a listen if you haven't already. Um, how did that go? Yeah, it was a great one. That was my favorite one so far, honestly. Oh, really? Yeah, no. We t- we uh, chopped it up a lot about the wild card, or, or it was the divisional, my my apologies. But, you know, I had a lot to say because <laughs> my Ravens played and everything, and we play again next week. So it was a fun one. Definitely should go check it out. Yeah, give that a listen. We um, love having them as part of the, the network, so... Zach's doing a great job. Brendan's killing it as a part of that. So we're happy to have Brendan here with us today. Raven will be back in studio tomorrow. Um, so the breaking news of the day, and it is um, kind of heavy news, but five members of the 2018 World Junior Team Canada have been told to surrender to London police. That is a quarter, according to a tweet by Rick Westhead and a uh, Globe and Mail report that came out Wednesday as well. So... Um, we are going to find out more about that as that unravels the members, the names of the five members of the 2018 Canadian World Junior Team had not been announced yet. Uh, they have not been named. Um, that is to be determined if they are named. I think putting all of our chips on the table, we will know a bit more as players leave their team, right? Um, If somebody has to go surrender to to the London police, then they will not be able to be a part of their NHL club while doing so. Um, It is yet to be determined, I think, if some of these players will be able to um, have somebody go and represent them in London or if they have to um, show face themselves. I assume that they will have to show face themselves But we shall see. I think a lot of people are frustrated at the timeline at which this has unfolded a little bit. I think some people wanted this to be completed at a more, um, how do you say, quicker pace, but more efficient. I don't know the efficiency of something like this, that it wasn't done in in an efficient manner. Um, You know, I, I think a lot of people thought the hammer was coming down maybe before the season started even or a little bit before then, maybe training camp. A lot of people expected news like this to break through, and this hasn't even really come from the National Hockey League. This is via the London London police. So tough story all around. Um, we won't uh, speculate on it at all, but we will just uh, provide the facts, and those are the facts that we have. Um, it, so that that is the update, and we'll, we'll wait around, I guess, for a further update on all of this. And I know that a lot of people just want to put a bookend on this, whatever it may be. Um, the horrific uh, situation that happened in London in 2018 uh, should not be repeated, and this should be a laying down of the hammer on the sometimes toxic culture of junior hockey and um, what that entails and the sort of gang mentality, that the sort of pack mentality that comes along with um, being in junior hockey. We know about all that. We know... Um, a lot of the hazing stories that have come out of junior hockey. So um, we just uh, wish the person, the victim and all this, all the best. And uh, we will, like I said, we'll wait and see and we'll keep tabs on the story going forward. 
because it is uh, very important to capital H hockey and what that means for um, some of these players. So uh, we'll move off of that. Um, Carter Hart has been granted a leave of absence as well, citing personal reasons via Chris Johnson. So um, he's going to take some time away from the Flyers. The Flyers obviously losing 6-3 to to the Tampa Bay Lightning last night. Sam Erson was in net for that one. We'll break down that game a little bit in a second. Um, just seeing what's breaking news coming across. Uh, so Kevin Weeks reports that the Hawks starting netminder, Peter Morazic, has been re-signed to a two-year, $8 million deal. That just breaking this morning. Um, Kevin Weeks on that one. And uh, the Hawks are in Seattle tonight to take on the Kraken. So they did not score in their last game 2-0. Peter Morazic has been very solid for them. Um, he's been giving them a lot of games. And one of the interesting things about Peter Morazic is in an age where goaltending is very similar across the board, very technical, um, Peter Morazic remains one of those guys that is still very reactionary with how he plays. Um, a lot of people now, when you compare it to some of the other goaltending styles in the National Hockey League, might call it a bit unorthodox. Um, it reminds me more of the Jonathan Quick era style of reactionary goaltending. So um, the Hawks get their guy locked up for a little bit longer. That is now uh, three players that they have signed to contract extensions in the last little bit. Nick Foligno and Jason Dickinson, the others. All three for two-year deals. So I think the Hawks and um, Kyle Davidson have a, a vision in mind of what they see this team looking like and shaping up like over even the next two, three, five years. So he has a plan. It seems to be a good one. And uh, he's re-signing the guys that have contributed to the Hawks' successes here, right? Which is all you can ask for. Um, if you're a Hawks fan, you shouldn't probably want to see a constant shipping out of players that do contribute to W's in the city. So um, it's hard, right? I mean, I know some people probably would have looked and been like, hey, we could get some assets for Dickinson and Felino and Mrazek, and maybe those guys even want to help bolster the lineup of a Stanley Cup contender versus wallowing away on the Hawks that... Um, are, are struggling right now. I, I don't think there's any secret behind that. And I think that um, that might be by design a little bit here from Kyle Davidson. Uh, the Hawks were never going to be in the competing for the Stanley Cup category, let alone, I think, competing for the playoffs. So better to try and finish with a top three pick than a top 15 pick. So um, the Hawks are doing their thing. They will be, like I said, they'll take on the Kraken tonight in Seattle. We'll see if they can put one in the back of the net. Um, yeah, and we'll see about that. So, uh, quick story last night, I, um, got to check out the barn hockey bar in Chicago, uh, give them a follow on social media, give them a look. They're really cool. No free ads, but this is a free ad. Um, that was really fun last night. They are right by the United center for the Hawks. I walk in there and I sit down and I was meeting with, uh, one of the managers and the owner of the place. And after meeting with the owner and talking with him for a little while, he goes to me, oh, are you sticking around for the trivia? And I said, what trivia? And he said, there's hockey trivia tonight. So I stick around and decide to play by myself. They did a few different categories. They did a Hawks history one, which I think was my lowest score of the 10 question groupings. Uh, they had goal songs. They had, what else did they have? They had some Stanley Cup history was one of the topics. They did a, a bonus round to name the 870 goal scores in NHL history. Um I won't read them off to you, but a lot of people did not get Bernie Nichols and Yari Curry on that list. Um, 
Yeah, so it was a lot of fun. I ended up winning the um, the trivia, not not a brag, but just a fact. So we we as a group here at Alethio actually now have four free tickets to go to a Hawks game. So I think we're all gonna I think we're gonna use that to go to a Hawks game altogether. The four of us here that are on the shows that might be the most fun way to um, utilize those four free tickets. Or I end up taking Raven to to two games. I'm just kidding, Brendan. I think we'll we'll get you to a game i think that would be a lot of fun um so yeah thank you to the barn they're they're really cool we're gonna do an event with them in the future and i will most likely announce that at a later date when things are a bit more confirmed but they're really great people over there and it's a really fun environment that um really does justice to hockey history which i can appreciate so um they're very great people over there and they have labat on tap and molson so what else can you ask for from a hockey bar um, and they had all the games on, so it made it easy to be prepared to come in and talk about all the games today. So uh, we'll, we'll work our way backwards a little bit. We'll start jumping into a bit of the, uh, the hockey that happened on the ice as opposed to the hockey that happened off the ice uh, within the last 24 hours. Um, and working our way backwards, San Jose defeats the New York Rangers 3-2 in overtime. Um, it, that was an interesting game. It looked like the Rangers were going to kind of... Um, I don't want to say bore, but almost just slumber the San Jose Sharks into a 2-0 win. And San Jose was having none of that. They got two goals within the first five minutes of the third period. They come back and uh, great passing play by Jan Ruda and Alexander Barabanov to set up Tomas Hurdle for the game-winning goal. And um, the Rangers have been playing good, though. They did look good for those first 40 minutes especially. And even in the third period, once they had realized that they had let in the two tying goals for San Jose. Um, Artemi Panarin is incredible. I might, we did a little heart trophy discussion, a little bit of MVP discussion. And I think I unfairly uh, left Artemi Panarin or, and and that wasn't by design. That was by accident. So I think he is probably right near at or near the top of uh, a lot of people's lists. Um, I think he's working his way into mine too. That goal last night was incredible. Um, and apparently Adam Fox plays net front on the power play now. That's about the third goal I've seen in the last two weeks from Adam Fox on the power play. That was scored right in front of the net. Um, we're used to uh, a lot of hard slap shots from the point from defensemen on the power play. And uh, Adam Fox is getting it done from all over the ice. He's taking notes from Quinn Hughes. So the Sharks dropped the Rangers 3-2 in overtime. That was a good one. Good win for San Jose. I think the Rangers were a little stunned by that result. But they shouldn't be because San Jose is playing hard. They're playing with a lot more energy and passion since Logan Couture re-entered the lineup. I think they found a little bit more of their identity that they've um, they've had for the last 15 years, right? Uh, Logan Couture was the um, the passing of the torch, right, from the the Marlowe, Joe Thornton era to Joe Pavelski's captaincy time and then he passed it on to Logan Couture and Mark Edward Vlasic has been there for most of those eras. Um, But still, you can tell that this team has definitely found a bit of sense of self since Logan Couture returned to the lineup this past weekend. And um, he's just been playing great. He obviously scored in the shootout against LA the other day and the Sharks win again. So uh, we will keep an eye on them going forward. The Rangers obviously finishing up their Western swing. They will host Vegas on Friday night. So, uh, that should be a very good one as well. Vegas has obviously been on the east while the Rangers have been on the west. Um, and then they will link up together in uh, in Madison Square Garden on Friday. So uh, we will talk about that one Friday morning. Uh, but 
The other big story of the day, and maybe this is the story of the day, but uh, the Edmonton Oilers, when they're 14th in a row, they are now three off the NHL record. They will play two more games before the All-Star break, before having a chance to tie it against the Vegas Golden Knights. Upon return from the All-Star break, um, Vander Kane with the game-winning goal. He was very good last night after uh, Connor McDavid had a four-on-three power play goal taken off in the second period. He put himself offside on that one, not something he does very often. Um, but he was indeed offside, and that one he can't really say took 15 minutes because that one was pretty uh, cut and dry, very quick decision for the referees. Sam Gagne, who uh, has returned to Edmonton to try and win a Stanley Cup as a older elder statesman member of the earlier version of the Oilers that was supposed to be able to be this kind of group and get the job done here. Um, so Sam Gagne becomes the first player in NHL history to, to be a part of two 14-game winning streaks, and that was very surprising to me. He was a part of the Columbus Blue Jackets one that uh, happened a few years ago. So he, that was uh, Sam Gagne, and the Oilers are the first team in NHL history to allow two or fewer goals in 12 straight games and win all of those games. So they've been very impressive. Stu Skinner was excellent again last night. Um, that game could have easily been... 3 nothing Columbus the other way, and uh, he was super solid. He has a 930 save percentage and a 180 GAA and 18 wins since November 24th. The 18 wins are most in the NHL. The save percentage and the goals against are second behind Connor Hellebuck. And, uh, you know, I, I know we can take a look at things like goals saved above expected, and um, but sometimes just the, the, raw, the raw numbers give you a good picture of just how solid someone has been. So... Stu Skinner has been very, very solid for Edmonton. Um, there is talk that they might be in search of a backup goaltender, but I think Skinner has been good enough, and uh, Pickard has been good enough too, Calvin Pickard, that maybe that's not something that you need to um, take a look at. You also have Jack Campbell in the minors, right? And apparently from everything that has been reported, um, Jack Campbell's playing a lot better in Bakersfield, so um, maybe he's an option to get a look at some point in the future, or maybe if they decide to move him beyond the trade deadline, he might be somebody that they might have to package with an asset to try and get someone to take on the remainder of his contract. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what the Edmonton Oilers do going forward. A very impressive win streak. Um, we'll, we'll see if they can take it through the all-star break, because that would be a large talking point for a lot of hockey media going forward and through the all-star break. We'll give people like us something to talk about, um, if they can get it done. So they'll play the Chicago Blackhawks on Thursday. That is tomorrow night. And, uh, we'll see how they, how they fare in that one. And if they can push the winning streak to 15 and then, um, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to take a good look here. Um, do, do, do. I don't know who the Oilers play next. Who do the Oilers play next, Brendan? Oh, man, you got me. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm going to look it up right now. I just wanted to throw it to you, make you uncomfortable there for a second. <laughs> so they host the Blackhawks tomorrow. They'll play the Nashville Predators on Saturday. I was looking at my Saturday schedule, and I didn't see it there, so I might have my eyes might have skipped over it. And then, like I said, on February 6th, so um, a little over a week after, they'll have an opportunity to... Uh, tie the record of 17 set by the Pittsburgh Penguins. So um, the Oilers are the story in hockey right now. They've been playing very well. Um, I heard some interesting points yesterday. I think it was on uh, Steve Dangle's podcast. Just, um, yeah, it was Jesse Blake talking about the 
the overcorrection of things, right? A lot of people had the Oilers team down and out, myself included. I did not think this turnaround was coming when they looked like they looked earlier on in the season. Um, I thought that they would honestly miss the playoffs. Now there's no chance of that happening. They um, look to be locked in to a first-round matchup, potentially, with the Vegas Golden Knights in the first round of the playoffs. That will be an awesome matchup if that is indeed how it stays. Um, That would take Vancouver winning the Pacific Division, folks, by the way. Um, L.A. continues their slide. So um, that would be a really good first-round matchup. uh, I did not think that this would happen. But at the same time, I think everybody needs to be a little cautious um, when including the Oilers amongst their top group of teams in the National Hockey League. You still have teams like uh, Vancouver and Winnipeg who have been playing very, very well. You have the Boston Bruins. Um, The New York Rangers have been um, a bit inconsistent as of late. But to say that the Oilers are immediately now in that top echelon of teams despite this 14-game winning streak, I think you need to to balance both sides of the coin that yes, the Oilers are really good. They're probably not as bad. They're definitely not as bad as they were during that early stretch of poor play, but maybe they're not as good as this 14 game winning streak. So we'll see how, like I said, we'll see how far they can push it. I hope it extends at least to the all-star break so we can spend the whole all-star break talking about it while there is no hockey, but um, we'll see about that. We'll see. They will take on the Chicago Blackhawks on Thursday. Um, Elsewhere in hockey, a little PWHL spotlight I want to give, too. I watched that one at the bar last night, too. They had that game on at the bar. What a good hockey bar having the PWHL on. It was just great to watch. Um, Ottawa defeats Toronto 3-1 last night. It was a great game. Tight checking. Uh, The score didn't change much after the third period besides a um, Lexi Azdija goal into the empty netter. Um, But Emily Clark and Brianne Jenner got their first tallies. with Ottawa first goals in the league, that was really good. Um, Toronto is definitely struggling to open up and create some offense. I didn't think, I don't think a lot of people expected this in the Toronto management when the league started. We know that um, there are a lot of ties to with the Toronto front office to Hockey Canada. So one, there was the topic of discussion that every time a team comes into play PWHL Toronto, that a lot of these players are showcasing for jobs in future world championships and opportunities in future Olympics. So every Toronto is getting every team's best effort. I don't think that that has been a shocker, although I think uh, a lot of teams, I think every team is getting every team's best effort every night. So um, I think that's a little bit difficult to judge, but they're, they're struggling to open up. They're struggling to create offense and cycle chances and, um, I don't think a lot of people thought that with a team that had uh, Spooner and um, Sarah Nurse and those kinds of players. So um, the defense is held up, but the offense does need to get going in Toronto. Ottawa, like I said yesterday, too, these games are starting to get big, everybody. They are starting to mean something. That game last night was huge for the standings yesterday. Um, And Ottawa will host Boston tonight in another game that will be very indicative of future standings. And... um, We'll see how the goaltenders go because Toronto rested Kristen Campbell last night. Um, her backup was excellent. And um, Emirates Smashmeyer played for Ottawa yesterday, and she was very solid. And I would not be surprised if we saw her again tonight as uh, Ottawa takes on Boston in PWHL action. So we'll be back tomorrow to recap that. That was a really good game, though, yesterday. Ottawa defeats Toronto 3-1, to and uh, we'll see how that game goes tonight. 
So uh, there is a report. We'll switch over from women's hockey to junior hockey for a second before going back to the National Hockey League. Um, according to reporter Josh Brown, we could see some movement in junior hockey soon. Uh, there is a report that the Mississauga Steelheads might relocate to Brampton, Ontario next season. Uh, Mississauga, the Steelheads, they currently sit last in OHL attendance, averaging 2,235 people per home date. That's not bad. That's not bad. I... Um, was going to give a little spotlight and i'm sure i could actually look it up while i am uh filibustering here so the we there is a lot of and a lot of good people and a lot of good content creators are talking about this a lot of good people in hockey a lot of um you've got the everything college hockey guys they do a good job um so i think it's on their page although i could be wrong it might be the the hockey house people who also do a very good job of um, giving people who are in club hockey in the United States a good spotlight and a good platform to promote themselves. Because for those of you that don't know much about club hockey, um, and I'm going to work myself to uh, give these guys some shout out and spotlight. Obviously, my alma mater, DePaul University here in Chicago, is a club hockey team. They are a part of the ACHA, the ACHA, as most people call it. And, uh, it's a good league. A lot of uh, a lot of good hockey players are now starting to do, starting to choose Acha over Division Three NCAA, and uh, because it offers the opportunity to go to a more traditional, bigger school environment, even though you're not going to be playing as serious level of hockey. Um, I know some people personally that have had some not so great experiences at the Division Three level, and they've enjoyed themselves a lot more at the college level. So. How does this have to do anything with um, with junior hockey? Well, in, in reality, it probably doesn't. But um, we're always talking about the growth of hockey, and if they if they view that things are just not working out the way that they should in Mississauga with the Steelheads, and they decide that moving them to Brampton would be a better move, then maybe they might as well go ahead and take care of it. Um, but the other part of it is, one, you are taking hockey away from a community. This is a little bit different where it's not universities. It is teams that represent small-town communities. So um, Mississauga isn't that really small of a town. It's in the GTA. It's a pretty big suburb of Toronto, and a lot of people who live in Mississauga might get mad at me for calling it a suburb of Toronto. Um, but Mississauga is a pretty big uh, place in and of itself, so uh, a bit bigger than Brampton, I think. So uh, I don't have the populations of both uh Canadian towns off my head, both Ontario towns. So, um, but I think it's good. So I guess the clip I'm looking for here, it was a clip, I think it was from Arkansas. Um, and basically it was just saying that they had broken the record attendance for an SEC game and basically showing that they had out attended a handful of NCAA games going on last night on there was like LIU Long Island University's home date and some of the numbers were pretty staggering in the the Arkansas game I, I hope I didn't mess this up it might have been Nebraska um, but I think it's Arkansas Arkansas is the Razorbacks right Brennan uh for baseball well for all sports bud oh <laughs> yeah no 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 you're right uh college wise yeah no you're right yeah I think they're the Razorbacks so um, they, they had just drone over a, a thousand people. So, um, yeah, so I, I think college hockey is going to grow. I think, um, 
it, it ties in hand in hand with the same idea of junior hockey growing where um, you are expanding to different communities. I think especially in college hockey, you have a lot of untapped markets. You have the the SEC region of things where you have schools like University of Florida, my home state, you have uh, University of Georgia, which could be a big hockey school, Alabama. And these schools, I, I'm saying they could be big hockey schools. They already are big hockey schools. These these schools have done a lot of uh, cultivation of culture for the game, um, especially you look at places like North Carolina with schools like NC State and UNC. Um, they both have really developed hockey programs for playing at the club level, and those schools could just as easily make a jump into the NCAA, maybe um, a bit of like an ACC conference forming. And then a lot of people always talk about like the Pac-12 idea of college hockey where seeing it extend to schools like USC, UCLA, um, Washington, Oregon, those kinds of places I think would be great for the game. Um, a lot of those places would sell the game more than you think. And college hockey is a moneymaker. And the more people realize that, the more we will see it grow. But uh, not to divert attention completely away from the Steelheads, we will keep an eye on that as that goes forward. Um, and we'll, we'll see where the Steelheads end up, if they end up moving at all. So uh, seven games are in, around the NHL tonight. We will uh, dive into a few of them. The heavy hitters of the night seem to be Carolina in Boston and Winnipeg in Toronto. Um, that one especially should be a really good one. Um, we got a couple teams on the second half of a back-to-back. St. Louis will be in Vancouver tonight. Uh, Buffalo will also be on the second half of a back-to-back tonight. They are in L.A., and Washington will take on the Avalanche The Washington Capitals, who lost yesterday to the Minnesota Wild in a game that was pretty slow-moving, it uh, took the Capitals a little bit to get to the level of play that they, it seemed like, walked into the game and almost expected that they would be at. Not that they, uh, not trying to pin that on anybody or any one in particular, but it just seemed like collectively the Capitals were out of it, and then they decided to be in it. They got two late goals, um... It was over before it was over, though, and um, Minnesota takes that one, and Brock Faber, Brock Faber gets another goal. So he shoved it right up to me and told me where to go on that one because I did not know that uh, he really still—I mean, he played incredibly yesterday. He was all over the ice. He was on the ice in the last few minutes of the game, and uh, in a night where I thought he might slow it down, he um, definitely took it to me. So uh, we talked a little bit about the— um, the bean pot yesterday, so the 45th women's bean pot yesterday ended uh, in Northeastern, taking their 19th title with a 2 1 overtime win. Um, that is their second tournament win in a row. And uh, the 19th is the most of any of the schools that play in the bean pot. So Skylar Irving was awesome. She was named tournament MVP. She scored both goals for Northeastern yesterday, including the overtime winner, which was beautiful. Um, and it was the first women's bean pot championship game held at TD Garden, which is awesome to hear. Uh, 10,633 fans packed that building last night. It was the largest women's crowd in Boston sports history. Super cool. Super, super cool. So uh, the men's version of that tournament, like I said, will get underway February 5th. Um, Looking forward to that one. Um, So Boston College and Boston University, well, let's stick on our Boston sports um, topic here of discussion. So Boston College and Boston University will play each other this week and it is the first time that both those schools will be one in two in the college hockey rankings while they play each other so those two teams i think are 
absolutely loaded. I mean, we've already talked about it quite a lot, but um, that's not to say that it's not uh, exciting to watch. I, I will certainly be watching that game. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to look at what day exactly that this game will be. And I realize now that I am a few moments looking into it that I was looking at the entirely wrong schedule. So give me a second here, folks. Um, we shall see. Brendan, you got anything you're excited for? Other than this Ravens playoff game? Not too much. You know. When's the game? <laughs> uh, that's going to be Sunday at 3. I'm kind of pissed that they scheduled it during the day when it's a, a matchup like Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar. But, you know, it's all right. They might want as many people watching it as possible. Yeah, no. There will be. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the biggest, most watched game at maybe ever playoff history. Yeah, I, w I would believe it, honestly. America's um, going to be watching that. So I have it here. So Boston College, I mean, I should have guessed. It's a college hockey schedule, so I should have just said they were playing uh, Friday, Saturday. And they are playing Friday, Saturday. BU, uh, they, they'll do a little home-and-home home of BC. Uh, they will be in, uh, they'll be at uh, BC on Friday and in BU on Saturday. So uh, that will be a good one. Like I said, first time those two programs will match up being the number one and number two ranked teams in the country so um we will give you i'll give you one more bit of what has come across my plate here and that is um swedish hockey league club timra has announced yesterday that they will have former nhler Oli jokinen who was one of my favorites growing up uh taking over as head coach starting next season that is a very european hockey thing to do announcing your coach for the following season while you still currently have a coach in place until the end of the season um so Jokinen was Liga Coach of the Year back in Finland with uh, Miklan Jurkarit. So it's a two-year deal. It has an option for 2027. We'll see how that goes. Um, he obviously finished up his NHL career in 2014-2015. Played for three different teams that year. Nashville, Toronto, and St. Louis. So, um, And he also spent some time coaching in South Florida in my home area. Obviously, he was a longtime Florida Panther. He was Florida Panthers captain for quite some time. And uh, he was coaching North Broward Prep, who I would play against in my hockey heyday. And then he switched over to start coaching for the South Florida Hockey Academy for a little bit before moving back to Finland. And going straight from the South Florida Hockey Academy 16 and under AAA team to La Liga head coach. So um, very impressive coaching resume for Ole Jokinen. We might see him behind an NHL bench sometime soon. Um, I think a lot of... Um, especially in hockey. I don't really do a lot of reading about other sports when it comes to this, but uh, a lot of next up lists of coaches are sometimes a bit uncreative in my in my mind. They don't really uh, dig deep to really find some interesting candidates. And this is, I'm just talking about reporters. I'm not talking about the actual hiring process here. I'm talking about hockey reporters who create lists of, oh, here are the next 10 coaches that are available for, uh, that should be in looks for NHL gigs. And um, you look down the list and sometimes that you, they don't really always give credence to the people that sometimes you feel like should be given more of looks. Um, David Carl, who just uh, won gold with the United States of the World Juniors, um, he should be in line for a head coaching job. Obviously, I'm impartial to my friend Spiros Anastas. I think he should be on an NHL bench pretty soon. Um, and just a few other guys. I definitely think Ole Jokinen could be on the bench um, going forward. Um, yeah, I mean, he has the NHL experience. He speaks good English. 
he was a great hockey player, very re- well respected, and we'll see how he does in Timra. So that is a team I know that is uh, quite popular in fin- or in Sweden, and they will um, look to bolster their lineup and plan of attack any way they can. They are not satisfied with mediocrity. They want to continue to push the envelope. So I think that's a good hire for Timra. Um, sticking to the NHL a little bit, so uh, Tom Fitzgerald gets a contract extension in New Jersey. They um, give him a two-year contract extension, like I said, and uh, they add the title President of Hockey Operations to that. So um, we'll see if he holds both. It seems to be that right now he will hold both titles. Don't know if eventually that means that he'll just be President of Hockey Operations and eventually they'll bring someone else in to act as the general manager um, as those lines continue to blur as far as what those mean and what those titles are. Um, It seems to be that nowadays... The president of hockey operations does a lot of what a general manager would have done 10 years ago. Um, a lot of people thought that a president of an organization, and that's still the case, right? You have the you you can have a president of a team, and you can also have a president of hockey operations, and you can have a president of operations, too. Some teams do, some teams don't. Um, a lot of people thought that the president role was um, initially more so for um, ticket sales, team outlook to the team perception to the public, those kinds of things. Um, but now it's gotten more into the the actual hockey product on the ice, right? Because we're in the business of winning. So um, everybody wants their hands all over the, the finger painting that is forming an NHL hockey club and seeing how they produce on the ice. So Tom Fitzgerald, he's done a great job in New Jersey. Tyler to fully start and heat up too. That trade was uh, not certain to look the best with Igor Sharangovich starting to light it up in Calgary. But Tyler Toffoli has found his scoring touch just the same. He had a hat trick the other night in an overtime win against the Vegas Golden Knights. So um, as long as he can start get go- getting going, the the Eastern Conference wildcard race is very, very tight right now. Uh, the Eastern Conference wildcards are currently Toronto and Detroit. Although Toronto has the fewest games played and Tampa Bay snuck up obviously yesterday with their win that I mentioned 6-3 over the Flyers. Um, but they're at 48 games played. The the Leafs are at 45 and Detroit's 47. So uh, games in hand and right behind them are the New Jersey Devils. So um, good, better winning percentage too than the Red Wings. So And they have two fewer games played. And you have the Islanders right behind them who just fired their coach. They lose yesterday to the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, and they will take on Montreal tomorrow, which should be an interesting one with Patrick Waugh behind the bench. But... Um, does not mean that this team still can't get into the playoffs. So um, good job rewarding Tom Fitzgerald. He seems like a good guy. He seems to be liked by the young players on the Devils. I'm sure he is with all the money that he gave them at a very young age. But he's done a good job locking in and identifying a young core of talent and sticking to it and augmenting it. Obviously, you think of additions like Dougie Hamilton on the back end, Timo Meyer up front yes, or last year at the trade deadline. So... Um, you know, New Jersey's figured it out. They they need to add a little bit probably on defense. They have a 20-year-old Luke Hughes on defense and a 19-year-old Simone Nemich playing defense in the National Hockey League, which is very tough to do, I should say, at the very least. Um, Nemich is really good. Luke Hughes has been fantastic. I don't think that goes without saying. Um, or I think that does go without saying, I should I should say. Um Nemich has had moments where he shows his age and you realize, hey, this is a 19-year-old guy playing in the National Hockey League right now. Um, 
maybe need to make a little bit of a smarter play with the puck or even a smarter play away from the puck there. Um, better gap control, better realization that sometimes these guys are very fast and shoot the puck very hard. So occasionally Simon Nemich gets burned here and there, but that is not something that will continue long-term. And a lot of people will point to the defenseman that the Devils lost last year and Damon Severson and Ryan Graves. Um, Severson obviously sent to Columbus and Graves signed with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but I don't know that it was the smartest thing for the Devils to give those guys the deals that they got in those respective cities. So um, they they thought their best course of action would be to let the young guys play, and I honestly probably would have done the same. Now, the goaltending has been a bit of a question mark in New Jersey with the Vitek Vanacek situation and um, Akira Schmid needing a bit more time to get adjusted to the NHL. Nico Dawes has been uh, fairly good in some games here and there. He's had uh, a stinker here and there, too, for himself. But um, if the New Jersey Devils either self-correct the goaltending or they correct it externally by going out and getting someone maybe like John Gibson, um, that will uh, revert course for the Devils. And I think they should be in a playoff spot by the end of the season. Um what else? Like I said, so nine games around, seven games around the NHL. Nine games was last night. Uh, it's nice to have a bit of a break. We had nine games uh, yesterday, seven games today, and then another nine tomorrow. Um, they were trying to fit in as many games before the All-Star break as possible. Um, like I said, the Jets take on the Maple Leafs tonight. That should be a heavy hitter. Arizona is in Florida tonight. That used to be the Jacob Chickren matchup, but... Um, now it is just a matchup of two really good teams. The Coyotes are trying to uh, litmus test themselves against a, a very good hockey club in the Florida Panthers that are playing to their identity lately and feel that they are building something really special down there with the consistency that they play a hard physical game with and the consistency, honestly, that they have on both the offensive and defensive side of the puck. Um, we mentioned Anthony Stolarz yesterday. He's been really good in a backup role. I assume Sergei Bobrovsky gets the start tonight, though. Um, we shall see how that one goes. Uh, like I said, the other heavy-hitting game is the Hurricanes at the Bruins. Um, we have some teams on uh, halves of back-to-backs. Um, the the Kings would probably like a nice win against uh, the Sabres tonight at home. I don't want to say Todd McClellan's seat is getting warmer, but that might be a bit of the case with some of the, the question marks that they have around the lineup, although I think it goes further past the the coaching side of things and it becomes more personal when you're talking about some of the performances on the Kings and what is going on in Los Angeles. Um, you have players like Drew Doughty who are playing really, really well. Um, Brent Clark looked pretty good. Um, they were missing one of their defensemen in their last game, so Clark and Spence played in that one. Um, and I think with L.A. it is about just... Like I said, making sure everybody is just playing hockey, not really thinking about it too much. Yes, you have to be involved in the process and you have to be committed to the process, but sometimes it's just more of uh, how how do you let yourself into the flow of things and how do you um, accept the flow of hockey, right? And sometimes it just looks like with Pierre-Luc Dubois that it is being forced uh, a little bit both in the chances that he is creating and in his positioning sometimes on the defensive side of things. And uh, it's been hard to give him ice time if you're Todd McClellan. So I don't know that that all should end up costing the man his job, although a few more poor performances strung together and questions might start being asked. Um, The St. Louis Blues got a big win yesterday over the Calgary Flames. Uh, They are in Vancouver tonight. 
we will see how that one goes. We'll see if Jordan Bennington gets the start tonight. And if Thatcher Demko gets the start tonight, he is coming off a 2-0 shutout of the Blackhawks. So um, the Canucks are just very, very good. They're a very good hockey team. There's no real other way to put it. Um, we hear the Jake Gensel to Vancouver rumors. I don't know how much in reality that those rumors are based. Um, I think Kyle Dubas in Pittsburgh needs to make a decision eventually on what to do, not just with the season, but going forward with this club. If you're going to commit over $80 million to Jake Gensel, then you need to decide what the game plan is as far as filling out the rest of the roster. And then years from now, how do you adjust? And if, um, there is a serious retooling that needs to go about in Pittsburgh. You have a proud guy like Jake Gensel, who is a point per game scorer and already has two Stanley Cup rings from 2016 and 2017. And um, yeah, it might be time to start to question maybe if he wants to go see if the grass is green or somewhere else. I don't know that the grass is greener a lot of places off of Sidney Crosby's wing, but um, he might be looking for a bit of a change of scenery. And I think Vancouver Canucks fans would love to get their hands on a player like Jake Gensel. Um, give them the ability to spread out the scoring a little bit uh, more than just the lotto line of uh, Pedersen, Besser, and JT Miller. Maybe allow Miller to sell center the second line um, with Besser on his wing and have uh, Gensel team up with Elias Pedersen for what would surely be a lethal duo. And a lethal, a lethal duo of lines, too, if you were able to spread out the scoring like that. Um, I personally think Vancouver might need more of a center than a winger. Looking at the Elias Lindholm situation and how that brews in Calgary, I uh, woke up today and was checking the socials and saw a post from uh, the NHL Network, and it had um, trade proposals on there, but I thought those were actual deals. So the first page of the trade proposals was Elias Lindholm going to Calgary, and uh, that one definitely caught me off guard because I thought it had just happened. So... Um, I thought it was a bit Nostradamus here, but I that is not the case. I am not Nostradamus about really anything when it comes to this game because nobody really knows anything when it comes to this game. I talk about the prospects. I'm excited to watch at the top prospects game today. That is happening tonight, by the way, in Moncton, um, and those players miss the game with injury. So um, I never know what to expect. I, don't, I think that goes for a lot of people when it comes to hockey. Um, exactly. So uh, we'll, we'll see how all this goes. Um I am looking forward to some of these games tonight. It should be really fun. I'm looking forward to the Top Prospects game. I'm looking forward to the uh, PWHL game tonight. Um, I'm just doing our last quick look through to make sure that we didn't miss anything. Um, we have coming across my desk right now, um, Alexander Formanton's club, H.C. Ambre Piotta, has allowed him to take a leave of absence back to Canada for quote, personal reasons. Formington has 10 goals, 16 points through 24 games played in Switzerland's top league this season. He was a part of the 2018 Canada World Junior Team. His NHL rights still belong to the Senators. Um, this information is uh, from Claire Hanna. Um, and uh, it is, it is. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing a little bit more of this. I know Carter Hart was on the 2018 World Junior Team. I'm not going to be the one that draws the the line of connection between the two instances, we're going to treat them as separate instances until right now. Um, also coming across my plate here, according to, wow, uh, according to Utah Jazz owner Ryan Smith. Utah Jazz owner Ryan Smith has formally asked the NHL to initiate the expansion process to Salt Lake City, Utah. That one is an interesting one, folks. Um, 
Utah Jazz owner Ryan Smith has been very vocal about his desire to own an NHL franchise. We obviously have the um, Winter Olympics coming to Salt Lake City at some point in the future. What Winter Olymp- Can you look up, Brendan, real quick, what Winter Olympics are coming to Salt Lake City? Um, Winter Olympics coming to Salt Lake City. Yeah. All right. Um, so we uh, we know that he wants an NHL team. We know that due to the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, there will be a brand new NHL quality arena being built in the city. Um, it seems to be an area that lacks, I wouldn't say lacks sports. Um, you know, you, you do have, uh, who, who do you have in Salt Lake City? You have the Jazz, obviously. You have um, you have an NWSL team, right, that I think is pretty popular. Um, I don't know if there's an MLS team there, but there's definitely room and an appetite for more sports there. Um, Ryan Smith obviously loves hockey a lot. Do, do we got an answer, Brendan? No, I've just seen, like, just general stuff here. Uh, we're talking Winter Olympics 2034, yeah? Is that what it is? That's what I was asking you. Yeah, no, that's all I see. I don't see any uh, specific sports, just the Winter Olympics. I might be wrong here, and they may not have even announced the um, the fact that Salt Lake City might be hosting it. And they, they may be in the bidding process of it. I don't know exactly. But um, I, uh, I, I know that Ryan Smith really wants a team, and we've talked a little bit about expansion in the NHL. We talked about it with Raven last week when we were talking about Atlanta. Um, we know that the NHL has American markets that they want to expand to and that they feel like there is room for in hockey and hockey expansion has gone well. If you consider the whole sum of things, um, you know, the NHL was the first to go to Vegas and now other sports franchises have another sport franchises and other sports have either relocated to Vegas or expanded to Vegas. Um, now that Seattle is back in the national hockey league, the, there are talks of the NBA going to the NHL. So um, anytime you have the NBA copying something that the NHL has done, you know that you've done something right. We know that the owners are thrilled with the uh, close to a billion dollars that hits their pockets when this happens. Uh, obviously, that is split up amongst all of the NHL owners. But the expansion fee is still a fee that needs to be paid. So I don't think the owners will turn that money away. And uh, yeah, like I said, there's just... Um, hockey is unique to some of these other sports where you can arguably grow to a 34, 35, 36 team league even with the amount of Canadian franchises that you have and not oversaturate yourself in the um, American side of things here. Uh, Like I said, there's still markets that could be um, expanded to. We've talked about Houston. We've talked about Atlanta. Um, If we're going north of, of the border, Quebec City is obviously aching for an NHL team. I don't know that that's at the top of the list, though. Um, so Ryan Smith formally asking the NHL to get started on the expansion process is enticing and very exciting. We will see at the rate at which they build a new arena there and, uh, we'll go from there. So that's really exciting. Um, also seeing here Nashville Predators have signed Cole Smith to a two-year extension worth $1 million average annual value. He's been a good find for the Predators this season. He has five goals, 16 points through 46 games this season. Um, he's 28 years old, so a little bit older when he has established himself in the NHL, but he has established himself in the NHL. He's a good hockey player, um, Nashville type of hockey player, um, and I'm sure they would like some of these other guys like Tommy Novak and uh, Yusuf Parsonen to uh, establish themselves with a bit more consistency in the lineup. Uh, Luke Evangelista too, but Evangelista is a little bit younger than those other two guys I just named. So um, 
I'm sure they would like to firmly establish themselves more in the NHL before giving them maybe similar types of deals to try and lock them in. Um, but Cole Smith gets two years, uh, $1 million average annual value. So um, that should do us here today on the program. Although, unless something else big happens, like, um, did you think anything about uh, the the Milwaukee Bucks yesterday? Did you think anything of that, Brendan? What about the Bucks? Uh, oh, their uh, coaching change? Yeah, so the coaching, I think his record was 30 and 13, if I'm not mistaken, at the time of his being let go. And mm-hmm. so they've hired Doc Rivers as their head coach, which, you know, n- not all of you may be basketball fans. And I, I will admit to not be the most educated basketball fan. But, um, yeah, I just... Um, Had to be something internal. There's no way you just fire a guy like that who's who's being as successful as he was midseason. I mean, so what the report says is the organization came to believe that they could find an upgrade on the young coach that gave them a better chance to compete for a championship. So I just think that that is very odd. Yeah, you know? no. <laughs> that is not traditional at all. I mean, it's it, there's way more that goes into something like that. It's like you have to... Uh, rally around a guy when when they're your coach, and to make a change like that mid season is it's just wild, and I I don't know, it's just a crazy move. So it had to have been something like one event that provoked that. Yeah, I'm I'm looking to see, um, if an NHL coach has ever been fired like that when, uh, they were doing well because they felt that um they could do better i mean we saw the gerard gallant one that was a an interesting situation um but all of these situations are more um like they were at the 500 mark you know what i mean but this Mm -hmm. team was chugging along at almost like an 800 winning percentage you know what i'm saying yeah so um that is a bit uh difficult to see yeah I'm, i'm looking at this list here and it's all guys that are under 500 and you know, I, I understand if you're coming off of uh, some success, right? Um, five NHL coaches have been fired after 200-point seasons. That is uh, Terry Murray. That's Jacques Lemaire. That is Bruce Boudreau. Mike Babcock is on that list. Um, so those are interesting, but that maybe have to do more so with the immediate impact of the season, right? Um, Terry Murray, let's see. Um, Even in those situations, it's like you don't want to have to fire a coach even if they are under 500 because you already have so much game planning and just stuff that the coach knows about the team, like the chemistry and everything. Mid-season to like just absolutely cut off that kind of capacity for the team is just really, really harmful. And I can't really, even if they get somebody that's hypothetically more talented, more knowledgeable for the Bucks, I I can't see the move playing out the way that they they intend to, if that is the case, assuming what they said is true. But I I truly think that something provoked it. Yeah, possibly. I mean, like I said, we're not here to uh, speculate on all that. We'll we'll take information as it comes to us. I mean, I think the most the most similar comparison to hockey right now uh, would be Gerard Gallant, who was let go at the end of last season. But see, this is an off season move, so I struggle to make it a direct comparison. But uh, Gallant went to the conference finals with the Rangers in um, 2022, and they lost to Tampa Bay. And then his following, his second season, which was last season, 
they uh, they lost in the playoffs, and um, that was it for him. He had uh, his first season was 110 points, the second season was 107 points, and they let him go. And obviously, the Rangers have Peter Laviolette as their head coach right now, um, and they are chugging along about at the same rate, though you could say. But his 662 points percentage, he was 99, 46, and 19 with the Rangers, Gerard Gallant, and uh, his points percentage was second in Rangers history, only to Mike Keenan. So who was the last Rangers uh, coach to win the Stanley Cup. So, um, and his 52 wins in his first season was one win of, uh, one win away from tying the franchise record. So um, that was a good team and a good coach. And I think with Gerard Gallant, after two seasons, the message kind of gets stale. But this is an entirely different situation too. I, I'm just very fascinated by this, Brendan, because this was his first season as a coach. Like this was his first season... Um, as the coach. No, that's even that's even crazier. I think uh this year in the NFL, it was it was a huge story that Frank Reich got fired midseason for the Panthers and it was like him being a first year head coach and he got fired midway through the season and and coaches at least in the NFL tend to at least get one full season as yeah, a shot. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, no. I I didn't even know that personally that <laughs> that he was a first year coach for Milwaukee and them being a decently successful They're second in their conference right now. Yeah, no. I mean not not even just now, just like for for the fact that they they won a they they won it all just not not even that long ago. What was it? Like 2 years ago. Yeah, I think it was 2 years ago, 3 years ago maybe. Yeah, no. For them to make such a a radical decision like that, it's just it's out of character. And <laughs> I don't know, we're just going to have to see see how it pans out for them, but you know, like you said, don't like to speculate, but I can't see it working out well. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all very interesting. Um, we I, I, Maybe there is no direct comparison to hockey. Maybe we find one eventually, and if we do, I'll, I will bring it to everyone's attention here. Um, just doing a little bit more research really quick on this Utah situation. So Smith Entertainment Group has requested the NHL initiate an expansion process with the ultimate purpose of bringing an NHL franchise to Utah. Um, we know that when Vegas did this, when Vegas was really trying to go, because I know Vegas is such a success story now, but before the Vegas Golden Knights entered the NHL, there was a lot of concern about would this be able to work and how will this work? And one of the ways that the Vegas Golden Knights ownership group led by Bill Foley um, led the charge into really taking hold of the NHL's interest in the market was by holding a season ticket drive. And that ticket drive was an incredible success, a success that is still talked about, obviously, if we're talking about it right now. So um, that, I think, was one of the things that pushed the NHL over the line into really considering Vegas and understanding that it is a viable option for an NHL franchise, and it worked out tremendously. Obviously, the Vegas Golden Knights are our defending Stanley Cup champions here. So, um, and the Seattle Kraken have had some good success. They went to Game 7 in the second round last year. Um, they're having a bit of a down season, but they're playing better. So, um there is interest in being able the way the expansion rules work. Obviously, if you're paying close to a billion dollars, as Ryan Smith probably would for an NHL team, if that uh, truly is the going rate for an NHL franchise these days, um, he's going to want a good team and he's going to deserve a good team. If you're paying close to a billion dollars for a franchise, you should get to ice a competitive roster. So um, I think it's exciting. It seems to be a promising market. The NHL has said that Utah is a promising market. Um, I'm just looking to see here about the arena situation. Um, 
So Salt Lake City is a bid city for the upcoming or for an upcoming Winter Olympics with the hopes to host in 2034. My gosh, 2034 seems pretty far away, huh? Um, but the they are uh, Smith Entertainment Group said the team can host a team immediately out of the Delta Center and with the plan being for a new arena designed for professional and Olympic hockey. Um, so that is the scoop on Utah. I, uh, I, I think you, I've never been to Utah, but I, I hear it's a really, um, winter sports friendly place. There's a lot of skiing, obviously that is pretty famous for, um, that Utah is pretty famous for. Um, but it, it is just a friendly safe haven for a lot of winter sport athletes too, in the United States, um, speed skaters, figure skaters along the likes, um, other types of winter sports athletes, uh, congregate in Utah among other spots in the U S obviously, but pretty popular spot. So. Um, I think it would work out tremendously. I think the NHL really wants it too. Um, I think Ryan Smith really wants it now, and we've seen the immediacy with which he wants it. Um, there is uh, the looming decision with the Arizona Coyotes and what to do about their future as they continue their search for a permanent home arena. So maybe that is where this is all coming from. Um, but we'll see. We'll see where all that goes. Um, seven exciting games across the NHL tonight. We got the PWHL. Boston is in Ottawa, like I said. Uh, my eyes will be on that. My eyes will be on the CHL NHL top prospects game. Um, no Caden Lindstrom, no Ryder Ritchie in that one. A bit disappointing, but we will see Team Sam Dickinson versus Team Berkeley Catton. And uh, we'll see how those guys try and make their mark on NHL scouts and fans alike who might be hearing of some of these players for the very first time tonight. Uh, that'll do it up for us here on the program today. Check us out on, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We're, we're available, Spotify, um, Apple music, iHeartRadio, wherever, Amazon, however, however you take in your podcasts, we are here for you on that, except for YouTube, which will, will hopefully be available soon for everybody. Uh, so you can see all of our beautiful faces while we, uh, sit here and talk sports with you. But, uh, thank you again for joining us today on good morning hockey. We will, uh, see you in 24 hours here on the Aletheo network. Have a great day, everybody.